Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be tonight. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 11. And uh, once you find that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of this uh, brief passage together. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Again, looking forward to going to heaven, and I kind of started the service with that thought in mind, and um, this world is not my home, and uh, let's, let's live like that. Um, we're just kind of passing through, aren't we? Uh, we're just pilgrims uh, on our way to our eternal home. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 4 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It, the elders, obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Lord, we uh, thank you for the service so, so far. We thank you for all that's taken place, for the scripture verses that these children have quoted and how that has encouraged us, for the songs that we have been able to sing unto you. But Lord, now as we come to the word of God and the preaching, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just guide our hearts and and uh, in our minds this evening. And I pray, Lord, you'd speak to us and uh, may we apply what we, uh, what we hear tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. So last month, we'd, uh, we started our, our new series called Living by Faith. And the idea here was to find out who is in that so great a cloud of witnesses found in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, this cloud of witnesses that is there watching and cheering us on as we run our race with patience. Uh, and uh, that, of course, has to do with our theme for the year, looking unto Jesus. But as we're running our race, looking unto Jesus, it's, it's somewhat nice to have uh, some, to know that there's fans watching and, and encouraging us along. And uh, that cloud of witnesses is a, is a reference to, uh, for sure, the, uh, the saints mentioned in Hebrews chapter number 11, this, what's called the Hall of Faith. Uh, but uh, each of these men and women were regular people who made uh, wonderful decisions based upon who God is and what God has said to them. And if we're going to live by faith in our lives, we too must make decisions based upon God's character and what he has declared to us in his word. Now last time, if you recall, uh, we studied the basics of faith, Faith 101. Uh, we saw the definition of faith, and there we learned that faith is a confidence in God, uh, based on the character of God, and that should produce a courage for God, for God that we are willing to take the step that he is calling us to take. We then talked about the display of faith and how God does expect each and every one of us to live by faith. Uh, finally, we learned about the delight of faith and how it bring, brings great pleasure to God. Uh, remember in verse uh, 6 of Hebrews chapter 11, it's impossible to please God without faith. Um, but then not only does it bring pleasure to God, it also brings profit to us 
in verse number 2 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, The elders obtained a good report because they lived by faith, because they uh, made decisions based on faith. Well, tonight we're going to look at one of the examples, in fact, the very first example that the writer of Hebrews mentions here in, uh, in this particular uh, passage, and that, is, of course, is Abel. Now, it is interesting uh, tonight that uh, the writer of Hebrews skips over uh, the first two people in, the, in history, Adam and Eve. Um, he, he skips over them. He just leaves them out altogether. Now, why would he do that? I, I believe it's because in the, highlighted, in the highlight event of their life, uh, they failed to display faith in the character and word of God. Um, remember, as they were faced, especially Eve and, and, then, and then Adam, too, in the garden, uh, they were faced with what God said, and then here comes the serpent uh, that was more subtle than any beast of the field, and, uh, and then totally goes against with what God said. And instead of going with what God said, they went with what the serpent said. And so as a result, they, they failed to place faith in the word of God at that moment, and that's why they're not included in this list of people who uh, lived by faith. Now, I do believe that uh, they were both later saved by faith, as pictured by those coats of skins that God used to clothe them. If you remember that, they had uh, once they committed the sin, then they were aware that they were naked, and then they uh, sewed fig leaves together, and God said, no, no, your works that you have just done uh, are not going to cover adequately. You need an innocent uh, animal to shed its innocent blood for you, and so God did that, and God's will and God's way uh, clothed them, and then uh, as a result of their faith to accept that, uh, they, were, they were saved. Now, tonight we want to look, though, at Abel and kind of focus in on, on uh, what he did and uh, his active or action of faith. So let's go into that tonight. First of all, let's look at Abel's sacrifice. This is the, uh, this is the act of faith that he had uh, in his life that uh, the writer of Hebrews, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chooses to highlight. And that was the offering that he made when God had called to him. And so uh, let's look at this sacrifice. First of all, the sacrifice, a couple of descriptions of the sacrifice I want to uh, share with you tonight. First of all, it was by faith. That one is obvious because that's how the verse starts, right? By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. His sacrifice was based upon the character of God and the word of God. Now, as you read the account of when this took place in Genesis chapter 4, and uh, we'll kind of flip back and forth between these two passages, Hebrews 11.4 and Genesis chapter 4 uh, tonight, but uh, when you look at that, it, there's no real indication, there's no real clear uh, time when God had told Abel and Cain uh, how and what to do with this sacrifice. But we can deduce, based upon uh, the fact God, God's not going to expect something and not explain it and not give it out, we can uh, deduce that God did somehow communicate to Abel uh, 
uh, regarding, and Cain, regarding this type of sacrifice that God had demanded. Now, uh, I, I think it probably could have been uh, through his parents. He, I believe he, he probably learned it from mom and dad, who were restored to fellowship with God only, uh, only after innocent blood was shed to produce those coats of skin that he clothed them with that I mentioned a little bit ago. Genesis 3.21 says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So really the first animals that were killed, the first sacrifices, were the ones uh, that, the Lord, that the Lord slew and slaughtered so that those coats of skins could be applied to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve properly. Um, and, and that was, uh, and mom and dad probably learned about that and then shared that with uh, Abel and Cain and explained to them uh, what, was, what was required. And this uh, concept of a blood sacrifice uh, is really traced throughout the entire Bible all the way to the cross of Calvary. Uh, Leviticus chapter number 17, we won't go through, I'm just going to go through a couple verses with you uh, tonight, but Leviticus chapter 17, in verse number 11, I'm going to go ahead and turn over there, I don't have it uh, written out, but Leviticus 17 verse number 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. And, and here's the clarification of that. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Uh, it, the blood is required to atone for the sin uh, for, uh, of the soul. Uh, no, no, no blood, no atonement. And uh, there are some... Uh, religions that try to take out the blood because it's just kind of messy and, well, bloody, you know. And, well, we don't want that. Actually, without the blood, there, there can be no atonement. And uh, you go all the way to the New Testament. Here's the other reference. If your Bible's open to Hebrews 11, if you go back to Hebrews 9, so maybe just a page over, in verse number 22, Hebrews 9, 22, and it says this, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And here's the key part of the verse here for us tonight. And without shedding of blood is no remission. So no shedding of blood, no remission of sin, no atonement. And so this, uh, God must have uh, shared this with Abel whether it's through his parents or whether there was some other type of communication that God had there for Abel. I, I think it was probably through uh, Adam and Eve who shared that with their boys. But uh, regardless, when, when it was time then to offer a sacrifice, Abel then chose to do so by faith in what God had expected and desired in a sacrifice. And so when... Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, the writer uh, is highlighting Abel. He says in verse number 4, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. No wonder it was a more excellent sacrifice, because it was based on faith. Okay, so it was by faith. Secondly, it was the first. It was the first. Uh, now, it's not clearly defined here in chapter, in chapter 11, verse 4 in Hebrews, but it is defined in Genesis chapter number 4. And so if you would 
kind of hold your place there in, in Hebrews and then go back to Genesis chapter number 4. And this is the account of uh, Abel and Cain and their sacrifices. And uh, let's look in verse number four, number 1 here. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Now notice when, uh, in verse number 4, it says, Abel he brought of the firstlings of his flock. It wasn't his second uh, best uh, sheep that he had in, the, uh, in his flock. It wasn't his leftovers. He sacrificed his first he sacrificed his best. And when in John chapter uh, number 3 and verse 16, most of us know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't give us his leftovers. He gave us his very best. Look, friend, I want to just mention this. God desires our first as well, doesn't he? He desires the first part of our lives. So young people, uh, listen to me tonight, or listen to the word of God. And, and, and Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ, said this in he, uh, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse number 1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. God desires that we would use our youth, not for ourselves, but for him. A lot of times people like to uh, live their lives for the themselves when they're young and then when they're older you know when they've lived the world then then we can live for God no God desires the first parts of our life uh, he also desires the first part of our day uh, several times in the word of God we see early will I seek thee there's a, a it, God wants us to start our day with him he desires the first day of the week um, Sunday, he desires that we would give the first day of the week to him. He desires the first part of our income. Proverbs 3 and verse number 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And when we do, the Bible says, So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. There's promises for those who decide to live by faith and give God our first, our best. Someone wrote a poem, and I'd like to read it to you at this time. It said, leftovers are such humble things. We would not serve to a guest. And yet we serve them to our Lord, who deserves the very best. We give to him leftover time, stray minutes here and there. Leftover cash we give to him, such few coins as we can spare. We give our youth unto the world, to hatred, lust, and strife. Then in declining years we give to him the remnant of our life. 
Uh, look, God wants us to give our first, and Abel did. He, he didn't go and look at his thing in, in his flock and say, well, uh, let's, let's see the most scrawny, lame one that I could do without. We'll give that to the Lord, and then I get the rest. No, God, Abel said, I want to get the best one for the Lord, and the first one for the Lord, because that's what he deserves. He deserves the first. He deserves the best. So no wonder it was considered a more excellent sacrifice because it was based on faith and it was the first. But then thirdly, it was also figurative. This, this sacrifice that he made almost 6,000 years ago, well, that's a long time ago. Uh, that, that sacrifice that he made there uh, pointed to the innocent lamb of God who would one day be slain as the ultimate substitute for our sin. You know, all those uh, sacrifices in the Old Testament with uh, Old Testament worship all pointed to the fact that one day there would be the ultimate Lamb of God who would be the once and for all substitute sacrifice for our sin. And uh, this sacrifice that Abel made there uh, in Genesis chapter number 4, pointed to the fact that one day Jesus would be our sacrifice. I think about when Isaac and Abraham were walking up Mount Moriah, and God had told Abraham, if you recall, to sacrifice his son for the Lord. Uh, and remember, Isaac was the promised son. This is the, one, this is the one he'd been waiting for for all these years. And finally, Isaac is here, and, and uh, now he's a, a, a young, strapping young man, and and uh, he, he's told to sacrifice him. And so Abraham and Isaac walk up this mountain. And, and Isaac is going, okay, Dad, okay, I see everything that we is required for a sacrifice. I mean, we've got the wood. Uh, we're, we're going up to this mountain to sacrifice. But, but where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? And uh, Abraham didn't have the heart to tell him at that moment that you're the one. I'm going to put my knife into you. But instead, here's what Abraham said. He said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And it's a little play on words there because one day God would indeed provide himself as the lamb of God who would become the ultimate offering for our sins. And God would provide someone Something else, and of course, most of us know the rest of that account, how when they get up there, Abraham's about ready to put the knife into his son, and, and, uh, and the angel had to say, Abraham, Abraham, he had to say him twice to get his attention, because he was so determined to go through with what God had told him to do, and then he looked and saw that there was a ram caught in the thicket there, and they used that, and it was a big relief moment for both dad and son. <laughs> it was a big whoosh, that was a close one, <laughs> a little too close for comfort. Uh, but you see, God would one day become the Lamb of God, the, the innocent Lamb of God. And so when Abel sacrificed this firstling of the flock, that was pointing to the fact that one day Jesus would be the firstling of the flock that would lay down his life for you and for me. Isaiah 53 uh, details a little bit of uh, what the Lord was thinking through all of this. See, Abel realized that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. 
Jesus was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. This innocent lamb. Jesus would be the innocent lamb of God who did no wrong and yet was sacrificed for our sin. Revelation 5 and verse number 12 says, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And so this sacrifice that Abel made way back in Genesis chapter 4, almost 6,000 years ago, pointed to the fact that one day Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice for your sin and for mine. No wonder it was a more excellent sacrifice. So we see Abel's sacrifice, but then secondly tonight I want us to see Abel's salvation. As a result of his faith, he received salvation. Just kind of like today. You know, we're not saved because of works, we're saved by faith through grace, or by grace through faith. Um, we are saved because of faith. Um, and, uh, and Abel was too. If you flip back again to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 4, uh, let's look at the first aspect of Abel's salvation. First of all, Abel was justified. And we see that in verse number 4 of Hebrews 11, where it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, and here it is, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Abel was justified. He was considered righteous. Because his sacrifice and worship was based on faith and not works, he was justified. He obtained witness that he was righteous. One commentator named George Cutting putting it, put it this way. It was not the personal excellence of Abel that God looked at in counting him righteous. Because Abel was a sinner, just like Cain was, just like Adam was, just like Eve was. It was not the personal excellence of Abel that God looked at in counting him righteous, but the excellence of the sacrifice that he brought and his faith in it. Another author wrote, The blood of animals could never pay for sin. God did not accept Abel's lamb as the payment for his sin. Sin must be paid for by the sinner being separated from God forever. But God forgave Abel's sin and accepted him because Abel trusted not in himself, but in the God who promised to send the deliverer. You see, justification can only come by faith. Works can simply not earn it. Ephesians 2 and verse number 8 for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If we were saved by works, we get to heaven and we have a, a comparison party. You know, it's kind of like, you know, in prison. You know, when you get into prison, uh, everybody goes, hey, what'd you do to get here? And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I robbed a bank. Oh, yeah, well, I did this, and it's just kind of trying to one-up one another, you know? Well, heaven's not like that. 
It's not, hey, how'd you get here? Well, I was a member of Cornerstone Baptist Church. Or, and I could say, well, I was the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church. So take that. And you're like, well, I was a deacon, and I had to serve under you. Take that. <laughs> like, you got me there. <laughs> or, Brother Blake, I had to work for you. Take that. Okay, you win. Uh, but here's the thing. It's not going to be like that, is it? We're all going to say, hey, how'd you get here? And we're all going to give the same answer. It was through his blood. That's how I got here. Uh, the fact that Jesus died for me, that's how I got here. And, 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 and then you're going to say, no way. That's how I got here too. And the other guy's going to be like, I hear you guys talking about how'd you get here. I got here by his blood. Yeah, we know. Everybody got here by his blood. See, it's not by works. We can't get here because we're a member of any type of church or uh, we do certain religious things. No, we're all here because we've been saved through faith. Here's a good illustration uh, to help us understand what uh, justification is. And uh, this is going to, uh, we're going to all relate to this because we all have cars very similar to this uh, vehicle here. Um, it seems that there was a man in England who put his Rolls Royce, okay? Most of us have Rolls Royce type cars, okay? Not really. Um, my uh, F-150 is not near that, but that's okay. Uh, but it seems that there was a man in England who put his Rolls Royce on a boat, went across to the continent uh, to go on a holiday. Well, while he was driving around Europe, something happened to the motor of his car, and so he cabled the Rolls-Royce people back in England and, and asked, I'm having trouble with my car. What do you suggest I do? Well, the Rolls-Royce people actually ended up flying a mechanic over to fix the problem. The mechanic repaired the car, flew back to England, and left the man to continue on his holiday. Well, as you can imagine, the fellow was wondering, great. I, I mean, I didn't approve any of this. Uh, how, how much is this going to cost me? So when he got back to England, he wrote the people a letter and asked how much he owed them. And he received a letter from the office that read, Dear Sir, there is no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with a Rolls Royce. <laughs> and that's a good illustration of justification. You see, Jesus comes into our life and cleanses us from our sins. And there's no record in heaven of our sin. Uh, the blood has completely covered us. And in God's eyes, it's as if we have never sinned. Romans 4 and verse number 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And that was the case for Abel. So Abel was justified. He was saved. But unfortunately, most of us know the rest of, of the account in Genesis chapter number 4. Cain was jealous. While Abel was justified because his sacrifice was accepted, Cain grew extremely jealous because of his sacrifice being rejected. Back in Genesis 4 and verse number 5, the Bible says this, unto Cain and to his offering, God had not respect. And Cain was the Bible says, very wroth, and his countenance fell. 
He was absolutely livid, Abel was, or Cain was. The words very wroth mean to blaze up of anger or jealousy. So he got irate, and uh, you could just immediately tell it on his face that things were not right. And uh, I can imagine that Cain thought, you know, hey, I worked so hard to make this offering uh, so nice for you, God. I made sure everything was perfect, neat, and organized. I picked the very best flowers for you, God. I got the perfect vegetables and fruits and artistically arranged them just for you. This took way more time and effort than what Abel did. He just took one of his sheep and created a mess. Spilt all this blood. What a, what a disaster. Because you see, Cain was much too refined and much too sophisticated to slaughter an animal and make a bloody mess. Until he got so jealous that he was willing to create a bloody mess and kill his own brother. And that showed, of course, the true character of his religion which was not necessarily worship of God. Oh, it may have looked that way, but really it was a worship of self because he wanted to do something so that God would pat him on the back and say, what a good boy you are, Cain, because look how much effort you put into that. Wow, I really like your sacrifice. That other thing that Abel did, that's disgusting. But it was completely the opposite, and Cain was upset uh, in a way that I mean, no one had ever seen before. And when self is not accepted or appreciated, it can turn into a jealous rage. I do want to encourage us regarding our own Christianity to be careful of a performance-based Christianity. All of us, I think, in this room tonight know that we're not saved by works. But after we're saved, do we take on the religion of Cain and say, I've got to do so many things for God to accept me and like me. No, God loves us regardless of what we do or don't do. Now, because of his love and acceptance for us, that should then propel us to love him and serve him and obey him. But we don't do so in order to try to gain God's acceptance and, and love. He loves us regardless of what we do or don't do. Aren't you grateful for that? Be careful that uh, we, 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 most of us would immediately reject the Cain-based uh, religion as far as earning salvation. All of us would say, yeah, no, it's not, you're not saved by works. But once we have been saved, sometimes we might be tempted to take on the Cain-type religion, where I've got to do all these things and, 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 and show God that I really love him. Look, we do need to love the Lord, but with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, I get that. But we need to be careful that we don't have that as our motive, to try to earn God's acceptance and love. We can't earn his love. He loves us because he is love. It's who he is. He doesn't love us because of what we do or don't do. He loves us because... That's his nature. So be careful of a performance-based Christianity. And so we see Cain's uh, tremendous jealousy that caused him to slaughter his own brother. There was an op opportunity 
in, uh, in verse number 6. Let's look in verse number 6 and 7 here. The Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? You can't hide your emotion from God. God knows what you're feeling inside. And God knew what was going on in the heart of Cain. And he also noticed his countenance. Why is thy countenance fallen? Uh, you, you know, there's some people who wear their emotions on the sleeve. You know people like that. You know exactly what's going on in their heart because they don't mind telling you. Um, well, Cain was kind of that way, but, but God knew what was going on in his heart. And then he said in verse number 7, he, he warned him, and he gave him an opportunity in verse number 7 to, to make things right. He says, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If you would just do what I asked you to do, your sacrifice would be accepted too, Cain. He says, and if thou doest not well, be warned, sin lieth at the door. You're on the doorsteps of sin. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And verse 8, Cain didn't want to hear what the Lord said. He was too angry to hear what God said. So Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Cain to pass when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Now all of a sudden, it was okay to kill something. Now all of a sudden, it it was the right thing to do. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stop there. We'll, we'll keep reading more, but um, let's move on to number three here tonight. Um, be careful, uh, or Cain was jealous, and uh, when we start living our Christian lives like Cain, sometimes that can create the wrong spirit towards others as well. And uh, that's what definitely happened with Cain. But thirdly, I want us to look at Abel's sermon Abel's sermon, back in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 4, at the end of the verse, it says, well, let me read the verse again. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and here it is, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. So, in, in this action, and in, in his life, he preached a sermon. Uh, what, what, what is the sermon? Uh, what are some descriptions of this sermon? Well, first of all, this sermon is perpetual. In other words, it continues on. Abel has been dead for thousands of years. And yet his life and his decision of faith continues to preach to us here almost 6,000 years later. Amazing. Proverbs 10 and verse number 7. Here's a verse that I was sharing with uh, Brother Chucky. Uh, um, a couple weeks ago that uh, I, I had read and that really just kind of struck me, and I've seen it before, but it really struck me. Proverbs 10, verse 7. Let me have you turn over there real quick. Proverbs 10, 7. I'd like you to see it so that it involves your eyes as well as your ears. Proverbs 10, 7. Proverbs 10.7 says, The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Those who live lives of faith, those who uh, live lives that are justified by God, after they pass from this life, their memory is blessed. When you think about them, there's a, it's a blessed thought. But the name of the wicked shall rot. 
Abel was a man who lived by faith and, and made his decision based on faith. And as a result, uh, the memory of Abel is blessed and it continues to preach. But uh, those who decide to live for themselves and uh, live in, against God and his word, their memory and their name, the Bible says, shall rot. I think of the wicked king named Jehoram, this wicked king of Judah uh, that is mentioned in 2 Chronicles chapter 21. He was 40 years old when he died, and, and the way he died was a horrible way to die. Here's what the Bible says in uh, 2 Chronicles 21 verse 19. It says, And it came to pass, and in the process of time, after the end of two years, his... Jehoram's bowels fell out by reason of his sickness, so he died of sore diseases. It's not a way that I want to die. I like my bowels just the way where they are, you know. I don't want them to go anywhere. But his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness. So he died of sore diseases, and his people, this is super sad, his people made no burning for him like the burning of his father's. So he died and there was no real funeral, no real celebration of life, no real memorial service, no real getting up and talking about, hey, I remember this memory with Jehoram. No, 40 years old and there's no burning for him. Then the Bible says this in the next verse, 30 and two years old when he began to reign and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. And here it is, departed without being desired. When he died, no one missed him. There was not a tear shed for him. No one uh, wrote on Facebook and put pictures of him and said, Oh, how I miss Jehoram. No, Jehoram. No one desired him after he was gone. Because you know why? He lived for himself and uh, he totally rejected God. He was an example of... An illustration, a living illustration, or a dead illustration of Proverbs 10.7. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Abel chose to live his life for God, and as a result, his life continues to preach, even in 2021, 6,000 years later. Amazing. I was thinking about this uh, regarding Brother Tom, and I don't want to keep bringing... Brother Tom up, uh, but uh, he just meant a lot to me, and uh, I know to you as well. But I was thinking about this. A life is not measured in how many days you live. It is measured by how you use the days you live. Well, I want to live to be 100 years old. Uh, there's a lot of 100-year-old people who don't really have much to speak of regarding their life. And yet I know people who, are, who die when they're extremely young who have lived a great life and who uh, have, ha have done things that has preached and continues to preach long after they're dead, yet being dead, or being dead yet speaketh. So what kind of legacy do you want to preach after you're gone? Well, the only one that will preach and will continue on is the life that is lived by faith. And Abel's life continues to preach all these millennia later. 
So his sermon is perpetual, but it is also powerful. And we'll end with this thought tonight. His sermon is extremely powerful. It speaks of worshiping God, God's way. Too many people in our culture want to worship God their own way. And they do. I mean, do you want a young, hip church with loud music? Here you go. If you want a church that uh, fits your style and your desires, well, there's probably one in town that you can find. And it's like shopping for a car uh, that people use. That they, they have the mentality of finding a church or worshiping God like uh, trying to shop for a car. You want this feature. You want that particular bell and whistle. And so let's find a church that meets that need. Can I remind us tonight that Christianity isn't Burger King, where you can have it your way? Now, how many of you would say Burger King's my favorite restaurant? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Jackson, thank you. Okay. Figured there'd be one. Because you probably like to have it your way, right? You know? You like to... uh, and, and I, like, I like Burger King, and I like the have-it-your-way mentality, because when I go to Burger King, um, I like to get my Whoppers with cheese and no onions, but with pickles. Uh, but my wife, if she were to order a Whopper, which she doesn't really love Burger King at all, um, it's kind of way down there. It's McDonald's and Burger King are way down there on the list. Uh, But if she were to go and order a Whopper, it would have probably no onions and no pickles with cheese, probably. And that's that's a wonderful thing about Burger King, and and all other restaurants can do that too. But Burger King kind of made it their slogan, though, didn't they? Have it your way? But that type of Christianity is Cain-type Christianity. I can have it my way. I can worship God the way I want to worship God. I get to call the shots on the how, the where, the how much, the when. My desires, my style, I get to choose. Well, how did that particular type of Christianity go for Cain? It didn't go so well. God said no. Because you're doing it your way, I'm not going to accept it. Well, his offering was rejected, and as a result, his countenance fell. He committed the very first murder in human history and was given some serious consequences for his actions as well. No, Christianity is not something we can customize to our wants and our sinful hearts. God is the only one who gets to decide how he is worshipped. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4? God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, God alone calls the shots regarding our worship. And we must have a genuine, sincere heart, yes, but we must also do so according to the truth of his word. We need to learn to worship God the way Abel did, and that was according to God's way, not our own way. God talks about several things regarding our worship. He talks about assembling together. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, we can't just say, you know what? That's one condiment in my Christianity that I want to remove. Kind of like we say, I don't want onions. I don't want to assemble together. That's not a big priority in my life. Uh, Sorry, Charlie. It's in the word of God, and God gets to call the shots. 
We can't just say, hold the assembly uh, together. Hold the, hold the church time together. I don't want that on my burger of Christianity. What about giving? God talks about on the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. We can't say, well, again, um, I, I don't mind Christianity, but that whole giving thing, you know, I'm just going to say I'd prefer not to have that as a condiment on my Christianity. Look, God gets to call the shots, not you and I. And we can go on tonight. Those are just a couple that I was thinking, but I'll let the Holy Spirit work in your own heart. Maybe some condiments in the, in the Christianity that you think you are holding. Christianity is not Burger King. God gets to call the shots. So his sermon is powerful. But is it powerful enough then to cause us to worship the Lord God's way? Stop trying to customize our own Christianity to our sinful hearts. As a pastor, some have said to me after a sermon, you know, that, that was a great message, Pastor. And, and, I, and I do appreciate the encouragement. But, but you want to know what the greatest compliment to a sermon is? It's when the hearers actually take heed to it. It's when we go live it. That's the greatest compliment. And tonight, as Abel has, is delivering his sermon... Uh, it's great for us to say, Abel, great sermon that you preach with your life. But the greatest compliment that we can give Abel is that we go and take heed to what he is preaching. When we say, all right, Abel, you served God and you worship God God's way, that's how I'm going to do it too. I'm going to stop trying to uh, finagle and, and worship God the way I want to. I'm going to do it the way God wants me to. In spirit, but in truth. So let's learn to live our lives like Abel and come to God on his terms, not on our own. And then let's worship and serve God by faith according to the truth of his word. Romans 14, verse 23. Just a reminder for us tonight. The end of that verse says, For whatsoever is not of faith is... Anybody know the next word? Sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Does that have to do with coming to God for salvation? Yes. We need to come to God by faith. But also in the Christian life. Uh, when we're just making decisions based on, uh, based on sight, that's not, that's not pleasing to God. It actually is sin. Galatians 2.20, last verse, and we'll wrap it up tonight. I'm crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The series title uh, that we're going through on Sunday nights, Living by Faith. We do need to live by faith, and not just come to God by faith for salvation, but then after we're saved that we continue to live by faith. And we do this according to Again, who God is, his character, and what God has said in his word.